Launched in 2002 by the then president, Tabombeki, among his comrades at the time, the late Muammar Gaddafi, the African Union was born, which was a metamorphosis of the Organization of African Unity. A couple of decades on, the African narrative is discussing South Africa's chairpersonship again of the AU at a time where South Africa has got a lot of problems of its own. To have a discussion with us on that is Mr. David Letzwalo, Acting Head, Institute for Dispute Resolution in Africa. Sir, how can we use this chairpersonship as a nation to advance our credibility in the bloc of Africa and in the world at large, before we get into the nitty-gritties of actually what it entails to be the chairperson of the AU. David, good evening. Are you there? Hello, how are you? I'm well. How are you, David? I'm fine, thank you. I'm sure you got my question. You want to respond to it? No, no, no. I was totally blank. I, 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 can you repeat it, please, for me? In short... What does the South African chairpersonship mean for South Africa at a time where domestically it has the kinds of challenges that it has? How can we use this platform to gain traction, lost traction, both in the bloc, Africa, and in the international arena? Oh, no, okay. Thank you very much. Look, uh, for the structure such as the African Union, so this is a, it's, a, it's a matter of prestige and also being able to advance your your agenda as a, as a country. So we have to look at where South Africa is at the moment in terms of its own challenges internally and also in terms of what it, uh, it holds as its own uh, ideology. And because of the chairmanship, it will be able to, to set the tone and the agenda to pursue uh, such such interests that it has. But all, all the same, it has to be looking at it from the, the context of the continent and, and Africa as a whole. So South Africa has got a lot of uh, scars around itself in terms of its image. And I know, I mean, we may discuss that data, but the issues around uh, xenophobia, the perceived issues of uh, instability here and there. So all these things, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's the right opportunity for for our role as, as the chairperson or chairman of the, the AU to, to to deal with those issues in terms of uh, bringing credibility and uh, an image of, of our nation. Of course, this is not about South Africa. So I suppose when you talk about bringing credibility, the priority of the chairperson should always be, at least in his or her work, in this case his Ramaphosa, in his work as chairperson of the AU, it is about making sure there is, as it is true to the name, African unity, making sure that the continent of Africa is unified on the many complex issues that it is seized with. And of course, another golden opportunity that he is presented with is the fact that the African continental free trade area is going to pick up steam and has to pick up steam, and therein is an opportunity to bring unity onto the continent. How do you propose he can use and leverage this opportunity with which he has been presented? Oh, yeah, and I think that that's very, very important. Um, it's very, very uh, crucial for for the chairperson of the of, of the AU to push that uh, particular agenda. But what we mustn't uh, lose sight of is the fact that there are internal um, mechanisms within the AU itself that the, the the chairman should be able to to stimulate uh, in terms of uh, making sure that uh, the idea of having the African free trade uh, happens. But that is an idea. Realistically, what do we say? 
And I think um, what he needs to do as the chairman is to ensure that each nation's uh, development plan uh, is looked at and uh, actually being positioned to to be relevant and aligned to the new concept. And number two, the whole issue of clean governance uh, is very, very important, particularly at administrative and corporate level. And the idea of corruption uh, coming into this kind of space of African free trade is very, very important. Issues of tax avoidance and the whole issue of uh, financial flows is something that needs to be looked at. But most importantly, is the idea of stimulating the internal mechanisms and committees within the the AU to to, to work towards uh, realizing this idea. And finally, for us to uh, arrive at a point where we can meaningfully have Africa free trade as, as, as purported, we need to look at the issue of regulating the whole idea of fake goods, the issue of migration, and so on and so on. So there's a lot of uh, traction that the the new chairman will be able to to facilitate in that regard. But coming from the from South Africa, which has been bedeviled by perceptions of xenophobia and uh, issues of uh, migration and poorly managed uh, you know migration issues and processes, then that might be a challenge. But I think uh, this presents a very very wonderful opportunity for South Africa to you know to manage that kind of uh, uh, you know, dimension as 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 way, and I think uh, that can be realized. But as we said earlier on, we need um, somebody who would be looking at it from a continental point of view rather than a an inward or national point of view. There was once a Libyan leader, a colonel. He had called for an African currency, a dina. I think that was what he wanted. He no longer lives. There's a particular president very new into his presidency in the discussions around the African continental free trade area wanted a one currency for Africa. That person is now the chairperson of the AU and has an even greater stake and platform to go and market his views about why it would be good for the African continent to have a currency. Do you have any comments on that? Oh, definitely. You know, I... I believe that we have to move away from the idea that as a continent we are uh, compartmentalized and we still believe that we can uh, you know, hold on to to these borders that have been created and given us by the you know by the Berlin conference. Uh, and I think it's a it is a bit scandalous for us to be holding on to these things. So when you when you have all these uh, different countries uh, with uh, you know borders created by by when I would say the colonizers uh, from the, the 1800s, it means that you're going to have different uh, uh, currencies for respective countries. And uh, different countries and borders mean that you're going to have different uh, national flags, different identities. So you're no longer thinking as an African. So the idea of uh, an Afro, I would say, you know, an African currency, I think it's, uh, it's something that would make it easy for you know, intra-continental trade, you know, that it, it's being uh, purported. So it shouldn't be difficult for Africans to, you know, to do business, you know, amongst themselves. But as, as things are, I think it becomes easy for people from outside Africa to do business with our 
individual countries than ourselves, you know, uh, in our own spaces. So I think we need a leadership at the moment that is starting to think as Africans rather than as, you know, particular, uh, you know, nations. Mm. But of course, we know that leaders have got certain benefits and privileges, you know, resulting from this, uh, you know, borders. So my my view is uh, the the idea of a common currency in Africa should not actually be debated at this stage. It's something that we should be looking at. And then I know of the West African countries that have been linked to the, the, the currency in France, that they want to have a common, you know, currency in that in that region nothing that's uh, something that should not even be entertained at this point so although the the thinking can be appreciated but i think it's just well, we're just wasting time we should be looking for a common currency in africa traveling in in in, in the continent with a co- common currency can you imagine what you know alleviation and difference it would bring in terms of africans uh, themselves and i'm also encouraged by what Paul Kagame, the president of Rwanda, is actually suggesting these days, to try to think like Sankara by having that pan-Africanist kind of outlook to things. And the idea that he's opening up his country for Africans by doing away with uh, visa requirements to enter Rwanda, I think is something that needs to be uh, emulated. And therefore, that links to the idea of the need and necessity to have a common currency in Africa. Let's leave the ideals and let's talk about the reality. South Africa takes the reins of the AU with a specific mandate to end conflict. How do you see this panning out in reality when South Africa herself is riddled with a conflict that is squarely an issue on the African continent at large? That is race-based or ethnic-based violence. It has played itself out for far too long on this continent. For on this continent and particularly in South Africa, President Ramaphosa is now almost the one with a speck in one's eye asked to end conflict when in his very own backyard in the proverbial sense South Africa, there are the kinds of problems that Africa is seized with glo- generally and is trying to rid itself of. Does he even have the kind of standing to speak about ending conflict when he in the structures of power here in this country is seized with precisely that problem he seems at least unable to resolve? My brother, if we were to take that approach, it means the AU will never have a chairman. So every African country has its own challenges in various ways. So if you pick up any leader from any country uh, to to lead uh, the African Union, uh, by the way, just uh, for a period of 11 months, not like you know, for a, a, a long time, so we will end up debating as who should be a leader. I remember at some point uh, there were leaders who would be leading the, the, the AU or even the OAU in the past that would be having certain things that we can, you know, criticize them on. But let's look at the bigger picture to say when uh, President Sri Ramaphosa goes to chair the AU, he's not being chairing that as president of South Africa, but as a leader of the, the continental body. But the point that uh, we need to take is that, of course, one does come with some, you know, perceptions, you know, coming from your, your country to say that if you can't deal with certain issues, how how much of a an influence or, or, or an inspiration can be to other other leaders, but the issue of uh, the, the internal conflict that we have in the in the, in the country results from I, I have to indicate that result from uh, colonialism and apartheid because the hatred or what you call the clashes or conflicts that we have in South Africa are the remnants 
of colonial and apartheid uh, influences and which were really intentional, deliberate and uh, artificial as it, as, as it were. Quick so question the on that. that w- the reality is that we, we had 1994 and beyond 1994 we still had the baggage of the past which we have failed to, to deal with uh, you know, completely. But the mandate that uh, the, the new chairman has is a continuation of the idea of the objective 2063 agenda of the AU to silence guns by the year 2020, which is the target. And I doubt whether the the president or the AU will be able to achieve this target. I don't imagine the, the continent having silent guns uh, by by the end of uh, this year, and I think that is a funny point that uh, uh, the new chairperson should be able to deal with very very thoroughly. But Let me just interrupt you there, David. Hang on. Let me just get back to OMB there, who is saying, "Why are you guys not taking calls on such an important topic?" Niaskanya Sagodo. Oh eight nine one one zero four two zero seven. There's always an opportunity to call. It's twenty one thirty one. There about another ten to twelve minutes or so left of this program. So Lesejo is waiting for your call, Wambi. And I record, I record rather that Mr. David Letswala, who is the acting head of the Institute for Dispute Resolution in Africa, is on the line talking to us about the fact that President Ramaphosa will soon be taking over from President of Egypt Adel Fattah El Sisi as the new chairperson of the African Union. We're talking about some of the issues that Mr. Ramaphosa has to address on behalf of the continent in terms of advancing his mission. So far we've talked about the reality of Mr. Ramaphosa. We've also talked about the African continental free trade areas, an opportunity for him to unlock a bit of growth in the continent at large and fostering the kind of unity that is required and demanded. We also spoke about his mandate specifically to end conflict, this notwithstanding the fact that South Africa has her own conflicts that she continues to have to deal with. And a conversation that has also been touched on, and of course we can go back to it, is President Ramaphosa himself has called called for an Africa to have one currency. We know what it turned out the last time some prominent leader on the continent wanted that. Might that be the fate of our president, President Ramaphosa, should he have his way or at least have that kind of noise getting traction in spaces where it creates discomfort for certain powers in the world? These are some of the points that we have talked about this evening and again I invite you to call 891 Mr. David Lazuala, when you talk about the fact that the conflicts on this continent are a remnant and a legacy of colonization, without dispute that are we as a people so incapable of knowing what is right and wrong are we so prone to violence that we can be as socially engineered like that that even amongst ourselves the many rivers of blood that we have seen over centuries on the continent we cannot despite it all and because of it all decide no more of this violence that has brought nothing but havoc destitution and created poverty on the continent? Um, I don't think we we have a problem with that, but the problem that we need to identify and own up is that uh, colonized uh, leadership influences the citizenry. So we need to have a very, very powerful civil movement to to deal with, this, uh, uh, with these issues. So I think that is very, very, very crucial for for, 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 for us at, at, at this stage. And one other thing that we need to indicate, and I think I've, I've repeated this you know, on most occasions to say that in Africa, in, in, in Africa, post-independence, we got the independence but failed to Africanize. And if you look at the content of what an African is, all issues of morality and Ubuntu and you know, caring, 
kind of society. So what we've done, we, we have simply, you know, ran with the colonial template of the modern state and forgot where we come from in terms of being, uh, you know, appreciative of our African roots and African way of doing things, including our way of governing ourselves, that is African leadership in the true sense of kings and queens, because those leaders were the embodiment of morals in the in the society. And I'm reminded, for instance, of what uh, Thomas Sankara said in paying tribute to Che Guevara, where he was actually saying that it is people like that that should stimulate what he referred to as a revolutionary morality. So in Africa, we, we, we don't seem to have such kind of leaders that are stimulating or encouraging a sort of revolutionary morality. And that is the that is the problem we have. But then we should see again in almost every country, but South Africa comes first in terms of the idea of materialism and corruption and all these kind of things, which have become a, a big thorn in in, in, in in the national fiber. Is it and not enough, that, David, to say that we as a people have simply lost our moral compass? This is said notwithstanding everything else that you have said, which advances the notion that we have inherited the kinds of conflict to see on the continent brought on by colonization, apartheid, and the like. But even as a people on our own, on a day-to-day basis, we have lost our moral compass such that such evil, such evil under the sun can still persist. This is especially on the backdrop of the evil that has already brought us, if not already, on the brink of our knees as a people, as a species, as a continent. We still are dealing with challenges and problems that at some point we have to own without always necessarily making reference to the past, bad as it might have been. No, definitely. And I, I agree with you that as a, as a society, uh, you know, we need a you know, strong, strong uh, civic movement to deal with these issues. We cannot always be looking at uh, t- look, taking a lead from politicians as it were. But it is not advisable for us to say that uh, we can't look at the past. We're not actually saying we're blaming the past, but the reality is that we cannot escape the fact that the present has been influenced terribly so by the past. The, the problem of colonialism and apartheid is something that we cannot sugarcoat or try to you know, romanticize as it were. So as we are building a strong civic movement, which is grounded on African morality, as as influenced and inspired by the role of the the kings and queens in the in the continent, we should not forget the idea that our responsibility lies with us. But the reality again is that we we we, we are within a system that is influenced by various aspects and influenced from different directions. Let's take a call from Cape Town. Good evening, Zaza. 2137, we're talking about SA's chairpersonship of the AU. President Ramaphosa, 67, taking over from the 65-year-old Egyptian president. Well, their counterpart in Finland is half their age. She's 35. She's a mom. She's a prime minister. Your thoughts and comments. Zaza in Cape Town, Babungonde in PE. After that, one after the other. Okay, cool. Uh, can you hear me, Sogel? Indeed. Yeah, cool. Man. Uh, thanks for, for taking my call. My bra- let me tell you something. Before we, we get the free trade area thing, let's first address this issue of xenophobia. Because it's South Africa, right? Because this is an African thing. We Africans, you know, we, we don't appreciate each other. For example, I can give you an example of uh, about six countries whereby the issue of xenophobia is very prevalent. There's Ghana and Nigeria. Do you know Ghana and Nigeria? 
Yeah. And, and you know, they're still discriminated there. And there's the issue of Somalia and Kenya. I mean, it's still the same thing there. The issue of Libya and Egypt, it's exactly the same thing that's happening here. I mean, Libya is still discriminated in Egypt. So, the issue is, as Africans, we are still, we know we still have so much hatred towards each other. So, how can we trust each other if we don't trust each other, if we hate each other? We are so afraid of each other, you know what I mean? So, Indeed. this issue of, of, and the issue of borders, you know, the borders in our continent, they are used as sort of a punitive measure, whereby uh, it's a way to punish those who don't belong in our country. Because, you know, last December, me and a group of Cape Town business people, we tried to visit him to, to open a franchise there. And if I can tell you the money that we paid on the Zimbabwean side, just to get in there with our cars, you know, it was a way of saying, you guys are not welcome here. You know what I mean? So, I mean, mm. it's, we as Africans, we still, we still have a long way to go as far as being united is concerned. Unfortunately, this is a question of, I suppose then what you're really talking to is a question of regional integration. Before we start talking about a continental free trade agreement, basically a continent-wide arrangement whereby there can be a free movement of goods and services and people, we need to get the regional integration right. Even the infrastructure doesn't lend itself to that, not even the policies. Much less said about corruption and the kind of racist issues to which you are referring to, albeit through the undertones of the examples you have used, the reality is then, in my understanding of what you're saying, that African continental free trade area is nothing more than a piece of paper with a bit of ink because the reality doesn't allow us to think that far. He's gone, unfortunately. Thank you so much to Zaza for his comments, calling us from Cape Town. Thank you so much for that. Babu Nonde, you are in the kitchen on top of the kitchen counter so that your signal is clear and we welcome you this evening on our show. 2139, you're the last caller before we go back to Mr. David Litzwal. Pungan. Yes, sir. Pungan, I understand you are 36. Let's add 43 to your age. Then you will be 79. God willing, I hope you will be alive Thank when you. African Union's vision of 2063 is realized, right? Inshallah. As I'm talking, mm. I wanted to ask your guest in bullet points, three important bullet points, what this vision 2063 will look like and if it thinks that can be realized. So, this will be taped, of course, when you are 79 as a grandfather, you will ask SABC to give you that tape and you will see that in 2063, when you are 79, if mm. at all, that vision has been achieved. So, so I am pessimistic. I'll tell you why. My, a friend of mine, Ed Malog Mayala, he was a drone. He's a professor. He's an African peer review mechanism. APRM, He's yeah. a chair. And this African peer review mechanism, or a boys club, has been, has been two So has the AU. Now, so if it was possible, for the apartheid government in the early 80s, when I was at Rhodes, the government at that time was Herod de Kock. So, yes, so there was what was called common monetary rent area. In other words, your Botswana, your Swaziland, your Lesotho, South Africa, they had a ratio of one is to one. In other mm. words, one Botswana puller was equivalent to one state African rent. Same thing as Swaziland, Emalangeni, or Lesotho puller on Maluti. Yes. That means, so, yes, so, if it was possible during apartheid time, just in this region, it's static, that we can have a one-to-one. Why can't we have a one-to-one in ECOWAS, in West African state, central, northern, right? Once mm. we achieve that, all these governors working hand-in-hand hand about the GDPs, interest rate differential, all those fundamentals that are needed to have one currency, as Mohammed Magadhafi once said, so that when we've got this African free trade agreement, right, we are using one currency, 
as the euro are doing, same thing with America, North Africans, North American free trade agreement, America, Mexico, Canada, Trans-Pacific partnership, all those things. Ten seconds. These things are possible if there's a political will. I'm afraid it is not the Pungane, Busugubenzo, no. Busugubenzo, Babungonde, 30 seconds for you, Mr. David. Let's all unfortunately to wrap up those comments from Zaza in Cape Town and Babungonde in Port Elizabeth. Okay, no, it's fine. I think the, the, the callers have made very, very important points. And uh, for the last caller particularly, mm. I would like to indicate that uh, I wouldn't really, uh, you know, take away my point of departure what has sure. been happening during apartheid times, for instance. But I really don't see how uh, Africa should be looking in terms of the Commonwealth, the Francophone, and all those kind of things. I think we need to be more Pan-African than we, we think. And I don't think that you can actually lead the African Union if you are not Pan-Africanist, because by its nature, an African Union must be mm. a Pan-Africanist structure. I find it difficult that uh, we seem to be losing the aspect that we are an African a society, but we tend to be applying, you know, Western norms to our African uh, reality. So I think to summarize all those issues that the two callers have said is that we have failed to Africanize after the the, the independence from the the, you know, the colonial powers. And the more we get and search deep into African identity and African realities. Now, I think all these things will be easily, uh, uh, you know, attended to. Sure. We'll have pan-African regional bodies which are strong collectively to influence the agenda of the African Union at continental level. Nonetheless, thank you so much for your thoughts and comments. It's a pity we didn't have enough time, but we certainly do appreciate your measured and sober views. That is Mr. David Letzualo, acting head at the Institute for Dispute Resolution in Africa at the University of South Africa, otherwise UNISA. Maishebo Babe, final comment. South Africa has a very low stock of social capital. The networks of relationships among people who live and work in a particular society, enabling that society to function effectively, that's social capital. We need to accumulate our social capital. Thank you so much as well to Donald, the CEO, for his thoughts that have been expressed on Twitter. It's 21.44, slightly out of time, but nonetheless, it's our time for the Daily Soapy, Why You Were Taken.